Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, happy Sunday. I hope you're staying cool. I think yesterday was like 100 degrees. Friday was like 110 degrees. Just a little too hot for me. Give me 75 to 85 and I'm a happy man. Uh, I'm going to do announcements first, and I'm going to go on the message. So first of all, i got to say this. Worship today, come on, what? Oof. God of Revival is one of my all-time favorite songs right now. And then to throw in Awake My Soul and to start with Raise a Hallelujah, I don't know how we don't defeat the enemy with those three songs. So we're taking back ground today. Now, uh, why I'm doing announcements today is because it's a little bit different. Uh, no big announcements for right now, but the announcement is this, is that we want to build the church this, uh, this coming fall, September through December, we really feel like we have an opportunity to finish 2020 really strong and to really just invest in, in the body and build the core of our church and build community. And so something we're thinking about doing is we're thinking about doing some backyard gatherings, some, some Wednesday nights uh, in a backyard with worship, and I'll be do, doing teachings, and we'll do some core nights, some, some, uh, um, some mission tracks even uh, in backyard. So the one announcement is this. If you have a big old backyard and you would like us to be able to use it to be able to host people for things like a Wednesday night prayer and worship night where I teach a little bit, a core night, a mission track night, all those kind of things, email Shelby. Right under here right now, you're going to see it. Shelby at missionchurchca.com. And uh, we're going to connect with you. And we're going to set up this fall and this winter. And we're going to build a house together. We're going to build people. We're going to make great disciples. Does that sound good? See how I tie that in there? It's pretty good, right? Okay. Uh, let's get into the message. If you're brand new, we've been in this series titled The Making of a Great Disciple. And again, the reason why it's so important is because Jesus did not say, go make crowds. He didn't say, go make great services. And I love a great service. But the thing that happens in the church is we sometimes get so caught up in making a great service and forget why we're making a great service. We're making a great service so we can glorify his name. We're making a great service so we can equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. These are the whys of why we give everything we've got. It's the verse out of Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I'm reading it every week. I'm committed to it. Uh, you may say, hey, you read it the last two weeks. Trust me, you can't hear this verse enough. It says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So there's got to be teaching involved when we make disciples. There's got to be obedience when it comes to the teaching, when it comes to disciples. And I love this promise. So Jesus says this, he doesn't leave us to do it on our own. He says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So when we make great disciples, when we make his church, he doesn't say, go do it. I'll talk to you later. No, he wants to partner with us in making great disciples. I used an illustration first week and I want to kind of recap real quick. I said, if God told us to make great cars and we made cars without wheels and tires and headlights, and he came back, what kind of cars would those be to present to our God? Well, if we made disciples without generosity and kindness and passion and fervor, oh, what kind of disciples would we, would we be making? The top of the message today is this. What if we made disciples that never changed? What if we made disciples that never really got transformed? They came into church one day and they left the same. Man, that's not the, uh, the mission of the church. That's not the mission that Jesus had. Uh, the title of my message is this. A great disciple is a transformed disciple. Now, is that really that important? I'll prove to you how important it is. Matthew 11, Matthew 13, excuse me. It says this. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into the boat and sat in it. And while the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables and sayings. It's one of the more famous ones. You'll see this in Mark 4. But I want to take a little bit of a different bent here uh, in uh, Matthew 13. Catch this real quick. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he was always telling people, watch out for counterfeit Christianity. You're going to see it here. Hey, watch out uh, for the things that will steal from a real relationship with me. You'll see Paul even say to examine yourself, to test your faith. 
Man, I, I, I'll say this. I don't want to create fake Christians or convenient Christians at our church. I actually want us to create real disciples. People tell me this all the time. The cost of discipleship is high. And, and, and the thing I've been actually somewhat um, wrestling with is this. is I don't want the series to come off as this, you better be a good disciple. If you're not, you're terrible. And for people to walk away, oh, just discouraged. Oh, he's asking us to, to do too much. The cost is too much. I can't lie to you. The cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of not discipling is even higher. Let me say that again. The cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of discipling is even higher. Oh, if we don't disciple, what do we have? We have lukewarm churches that makes God want to puke. We have Christians that are missing out on the promise from God. You know what the promise from God is? Is he came to give you an abundant life. Let me, let me double down on my car illustration today. Can you imagine uh, buying a car and then saying, well, we'll sell it to you for five grand if you don't want brakes. Uh, but the cost for brakes is gonna be another grand. You have to pay six grand for the brakes. You're like, I don't need, who needs brakes? I, I wanna save some money, I wanna save some time. Just give me the car. The cost would be way too high to have a car with no brakes. It would create a collision. Pay the extra grand. Well, the cost would be way too high for you not to say I'm gonna go all in with my life. Lord, everything that I am, oh, Lord, I give it all to you. The cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of not discipling and becoming a disciple is even higher. Man, say yes to the cost. So Jesus is always calling him this thing. He goes on to say, as he was, uh, he says, uh, then he told him that many parables, a farmer went out to sow seed. The farmer is God, the seed is the world. Let's pay, paint that picture. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what it was sown. Whoever has hears, let them hear. Oh, I pray that we hear this today, church. Come on. So he breaks it down in the next thing. So the disciples are like, what did that even mean? Can I just tell you real quick? One of the things that holds Christians back today is they just don't ask questions. Hey, what does God really want from me? What does it mean when the Bible says this? Man, what I love about the disciples is they're always asking God, God, what are you trying to say to me? What do you want from me? And find a mentor, find a pastor, and ask questions. Questions are not bad. It means that you actually really want what God has for you. It's one of those first steps. So they ask questions. You know, what are you talking about? Farming and seeds and birds and shallow soil and 30, 60, 100 times? 100 times is not even possible in farming. What are you talking about, Jesus? And so Jesus goes on to tell him, he goes, here's what I'm trying to tell you. When you hear the message about the kingdom and, uh, and does not understand it, the first, the first one represents somebody who basically, you talk about God, but they don't understand it, so therefore it just hits the, uh, the, the cement, basically, and then the enemy comes and snatches away. Verse 20 says, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word that quickly falls away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to those someone uh, who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, make it unfruitful. And he goes on to the last one, but the seed that fallen on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. So weird, I read past this verse, that understands is so pivotal in everything God's trying to say at this moment. He's saying that, that understanding is not just knowing, but it makes it to your heart and it pierces your heart and it transforms everything in you. That word understands in the Greek, it's a powerful word. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Stop. There's three, three types of counterfeit Christianity he talks tonight. First one, he says, watch out for shallow Christianity. That's the first one. It's the one that see that just hits the, hits the cement and nothing happens. Another way that uh, uh, scholars call it is intellectual Christianity. It's, oh, I know about God. I know there is a God. Hence why we have 240 million Christians in America and 325 million people uh, uh, in, in, uh, in our nation. Because a lot of them are what you could call is the intellectual Christian. 
they know about God, they heard about God, they, they believe there is a God, but they're not really living for God. They're not, th that's not a disciple. Jesus says, watch out for this. He goes, the second one is an emotional Christian. Now, an emotional Christian says that they receive the word with joy. Woo, feels good. An emotional Christian is one of those people who hear the word and they base everything off of emotions. If I feel like going to church, I'm going to go to church. If I don't feel like going to church, I'm not going to go to church. If I feel like uh, it's a bad day and God didn't do what I wanted, then I'm not going to live for him. Emotions drive the person. Can I just say something real quick? Emotions are not bad, but they cannot guide you. Uh, John Edwards, if you um, ever look up his messages, by the way, I read a lot of his messages. You're like, Tyler, you is so smart. Where did you get all that information? I like to go to the old guys, Charles Spurgeon, John Edwards. I like to read uh, their thoughts and, and, and their studies. And that's actually where I try to mine for gold as I read the word. John Edwards would actually read his messages like a manuscript. Today, I'm going to talk about that. And he would talk like this, not emotional at all. But here's what would happen in his uh, churches. He was a part of a revival. People in his pews would fall over crying and weeping because they understood the words that were being read to them from the scriptures. Oh, emotional response is great, but emotions cannot drive you. It's saying that, that, that this type of Christianity is the one that says, man, if, if something bad here is and, I, and I'm angry, I'm out. Man, emotional Christianity is not the way we build the house. Third one is this, is it says, uh, it talks about watch out for materialistic Christianity materialistic Christianity. All that means is simply this, is that it talks about the seed getting into your heart, but your heart, oh, it's got so much of the world in it. So it actually gets to your heart. You actually know, I know I'm supposed to live for God, but then you have all these other things you want to live for. And so the, the world just chokes the seed out. Basically, if I could put it in a very uh, modern day, is basically you love God. Oh, you want God, but you always give you the scraps because the world is so important to you. And so it chokes out actually the abundance of your life. Oh, don't be a materialistic Christian. And the last thing, this is, this is the mark of a Christian and mark of a real disciple. You ready? He says it, it, it this way. It's like a field where the seeds come and it transforms the field. A mark of a real Christian is a transformed Christian, a transformed disciple. That's how important it is. That people would actually see you and you would become something different. That you'd be transformed from old to new. You'd be transformed from angry to joyful. You'd be transformed to bitter, oh, but to somebody who is just vibrant with life. This is what the gospel does. It's very simple. If you plant orange uh, uh, seeds for orange trees, like in, in Southern California, a huge orange field will happen. If you plant the word of God in your heart and you let it just be watered and you're faithful to it, it will produce this abundant life and it will transform your life. Oh man, my hope today, I'm gonna look at two things. Two points, that's it. This is where it's going to get good. I, I, I've been buckling up for these, uh, these two points. I uh, found out from a study that most people can only remember two things that you teach on. So I'm going to start doing more, more like two points uh, instead of like three points or four points. So these two points today, I pray that as I challenge you to transform, one of them is old and new. The second one is from greedy to generous, that you would allow yourself to have God's seed, not just make it here, but make it here. That you would say, God, my heart is ready to receive. Oh, my spirit is ready to receive from you, God. Oh, don't just get intellectual with it. Oh, but allow your heart to get with it. It's fascinating. The head and heart are two different things. Have you ever heard a girl say this? Oh, my, my head tells me he is dangerous. He is the wrong man. Don't date him. That's what my head tells me. Oh, but my heart says, oh, I just want to marry him. Your head shows you the train wreck, but your heart won't let you run away from the train wreck. This is what he's saying. He's saying that the scripture, it, it makes it here, but it's got to get here where you say, I know God is real. And then your heart saying, no matter what, I'm not leaving my king. Oh, the head and the heart have to, it transforms everything in your being. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. And Lord, as we look at these two simple points, Lord, that you bring old things to new, that you take the greedy and you make them generous. 
Oh, Lord, I pray that this would be uh, one that would transform us. Lord, that every week we're being transformed into your glory, that we're being sanctified, that, that we're uh, going from Pintos to Porsches. I'm going to use car illustrations a lot in this series. So God, I pray that you take us from Pintos to Porsches. And if you're young and don't know what Pinto is, Google it. Uh, Lord, we love you. We love you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said, amen. Uh, a Pinto is one of the most ghetto cars ever. And now it's kind of a collector's item. Uh, but God really does. He wants to take it from a Pinto to a Porsche. Okay, let's go. Uh, first, uh, first point, great disciples are transformed from old to new, old to new. Let's just break this down real quick. We're obsessed with new things. We're obsessed with new cars, new clothes, the new hairstyle, the new, uh, uh, the new rookie in sports. Are they, gonna, are they gonna be the next LeBron? Are they gonna be the next uh, whatever in sports? We're always obsessed with new. Even hairstyles, beards, like my, I, I, I'm, I'm trying the new beard line now. I'm doing a new beard line. It used to be like this, but my barber told me, hey, cut it right here. It's the, it's the new, it's the better look. So I'm trying a new beard line even, okay? Um, I got a Jeep Wrangler, bear with me uh, with this illustration. I told you a lot of car illustrations. I got a Jeep Wrangler, and it was on normal tires, and it was a 2016. And for the next six months, I just added new bells and whistles to my Jeep Wrangler. Big tires, different grill. I put a, um, I put a hitch on it. I, I, got a, I got a convertible top for it, so I can take a hard top or soft top on it. I put a, um, a Darth Vader uh, grill on it, so it looks really intimidating when I'm driving. Uh, I put these new uh, tail lights on it. And so every time I'd show up, every few months, people would go, dang, that looks like a new car. What happened to the, that's the same Jeep? My car started to look newer. That doesn't even make sense. And if I could just submit this to you, I think one of the reasons why we're so obsessed with new things is because our soul desires newness. I think our inner being desires it. We feel ourselves fading away. We feel this world fading away, so we desire something new, so we try to purchase it instead of allowing God to actually transform it in our life. I want to read you a verse in Revelation 21. Yeah, we go in Revelation today, ready? Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Do you know that God's obsessed with the new also? You're going to see new four times just in this uh, little eight verses. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from, God, um, uh, from there. God prepared uh, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. As I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Oh, what an amazing promise that is. No more tears, no more pain. He goes on to say, he who is seated on the throne said this, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's making everything new. In your house, turn everything new, everything new, everything new. He's not saying, I'm going to make everything new. He's saying right at this moment that believers, he's making us new. That, how does that even, this doesn't even make sense. I'm going to break it down for you in just a second. Making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual moral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, sorry, Harry Potter, you're done. The idolaters and all the liars, they'll be consigned to a fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Stop. Woof. We're going to do a Revelation series one time, and it's going to be fun. Uh, I love eschatology. I love studying it. But this verse right here, I want you to catch something real quick. The word new, in the Greek, there's two words of new. Neos, sounds kind of like the matrix, neo. It's spelled like that, N-E-O-S, neos. And that just means something that is made brand new, like a, like a, a brand new car would be neos. 
A new car that just, the 2020 Ford Bronco, or the 2020 Ford Bronco that everybody's going crazy over right now. Look at the, it's, it's a Neos, it's new. Then the other one is Kanos. Not pronounced it perfectly, bear with me. K-A-I-N-O-N-O-S, Kanos. And it's actually not talking about when it was made, but it's talking about the quality of it at this moment. Saying that you could look at a house, and it could be 20 years old, but because it's been kept in such great condition and it's been taken care of, it looks just as new as the day it was bought. It even looks better. The word kanos and new is what he's saying here. He's saying, I am going to make you new out of what you are already. I'm going to make neos out of something that's already been created. Only, 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 promise, uh, only person that can do that is God. Let me put it this way. I uh, um, married eight years. And the first year was great. I loved Rachel and I's first year. A lot of people said, hey, your first year is going to be terrible. Uh, actually, it was great for us. Some people's first year, I get it. It's terrible. Rachel and I, I think we got married a little bit later, so we, it was easier for us to gel. Uh, we got married at 29. Eight years in, man, the newness in our marriage, the freshness in our marriage, it's not of this world. The excitement to come home and see my wife. And if, you, if your marriage isn't in the same spot, I'm not trying to say this, but like, man, Tyler, stop talking about marriage. I, I got to celebrate what God has done in my life. I can't manufacture that. It's, there's something about when both people in your marriage are committed to God making them new. Not only that, we, we have things that we create to make things not fall apart. Refrigerators, let's put the food in there and have it not fall apart. We're trying to create things for ourselves for our marriages not to fall apart. The problem is, is the world has nothing to actually hold it together. The only way that a marriage flourishes, a disciple flourishes, your life flourishes, and you make all things new, is you actually give everything that you are to Jesus. Now, what does it mean to give everything you are to Jesus? So the ending part that I read, it's kind of intense, but let's talk about it. It talks about the people that will not inherit this newness. They won't inherit the kingdom. It's the Harry Potters, okay, the, the, the magic arts. It's the uh, idolaters. It's the sexual moral. It's the liars. You like, list all these things. But then you're like, Todd, just give a heads up. Harry Potter's my favorite movie. Uh, I've said a lie before. Uh, I've had a, a lustful thought before. So does that mean I'm not going to have all things new? So does that mean that I have to be perfect? And so... Not, not, not be about the uh, adultery, not, not ever tell a lie. Is, is that how I make myself new? This is what's so fascinating about this verse. Here's what he says about the ones that will inherit the newness. It doesn't say the perfect ones. It doesn't say the ones that do this or do that. It simply says the thirsty ones will receive this new life, this living water, if you will. Can I, can I give you a real quick um, little quote? A great disciple is a thirsty disciple. I, I think of this on Sundays all the time. Man, a desperate Christian, watch out for them. Watch out for a desperate Christian when they worship. They're thirsty because they're so broken. Watch out for a desperate Christian when they're praying because they just pray with a little different kind of thirst in their prayer. When a desperate Christian's praying, they just pray a little different. God, I pray that you would send my son home. I pray that you would send my daughter home. I pray that you would heal who needs to be healed. When, when, when a desperate Christian starts to pray, there's almost a, a, a sound to it that is like a thirsty prayer, if you will. If you want to make all things new in your life, if you want new peace, if you want new, uh, a newness in your marriage, if you want a new, uh, fresh vision, here's what you need to start doing. You need to wake up in the morning and not think about your dues, but you need to start drinking a little bit more. Here's what I mean by that. You need to say, God, I thirst for peace today. Oh, not the peace I needed last week. I need a new peace. I need a new peace today. I thirst for that peace. You need to start saying, Lord, I thirst for a fresh, uh, a fresh passion for my spouse. If you need to pray it, pray it. Lord, I, I thirst for a fresh passion for your house. Oh, I thirst for, for righteousness. I thirst for, for, um, for integrity. I thirst for things of, uh, not of this world, but for you, God. I thirst for it. The problem with a lot of uh, disciples when they pray is they're praying for things of this world instead of praying for things of heaven. 
man, I want to pray for heaven. I want to pray for the world. Man, I want, I want, I want, to, I want a drink of living water. I want to be made new today. I, I want to be like my Jeep. I want to finish. I want to be like my Jeep. I want to show up every year when I visit home or every six months when I visit other people and for them to say to me, what, something just got added to you. There's a, there's a freshness about you. Let me put it this way. I want our church to be like the Jeep. And here's what I mean. I want somebody to come to our church and they can't tell who the brand new Christian is and the Christian who's been a Christian for 30 years is. Because have you ever noticed like the brand new Christian, they always say like the brand new Christian like is really passionate. Like, woo, I can't wait to come to church. Woo, I can't wait to serve. Oh, I love everybody. I love the church. I just love everything. And then the pessimistic Christian that's been there for 15 years says this. Oh, you just wait. Oh, you, you love church? Well, give them time. They'll be just like me in 10 years. They'll be wounded by somebody. A pastor will disappoint them. Uh, they'll, they'll find out that they're not going to get everything they want. And 10 years from now, they'll be coming to church with a pessimistic view and looking around just like I am. That's not a great disciple. A great disciple, their expectations get newer and better and brighter. Really what that newness word is saying is that he can take you from bright to brighter. He can take you from great to greater. He can take you from passionate to a fiery flame. This is an amazing thing. Imagine people coming in and meeting a greeter, and the greeter is just on fire for the Lord, and they're going, man, is that, that person just get saved last week? Oh, no, they've been saved for 30 years. They, they've been following the Lord for 30 years. How do, how do they have that passion still? They're thirsty. They're a thirsty disciple. God's not into, and this is not my quote, God is not into behavior modification. He's into heart transformation. And the way the heart gets transferred transformed is not you picking all these different behaviors to follow this week. It's actually you actually drinking from the right thing. It's the word of God. It's from his spirit saying, God, I'm thirsty for you. Oh, thirst for your God this week and go from old to new and then from new to newer to newer to newest to where people go, how do you still have this? And simply this, man, I, I thirst for my God. Does this make sense? I hope so. Let's go to the second point. Second point is this. A great disciple is transformed from greedy to generous. Greedy to generous. Woo! Let's talk about money. Okay, let's talk about money. Now, real quick, Malachi 1, uh, I want to read it because people think the book of Malachi is the tithing book because you always hear in Matthew 3, bring your uh, tithe to this storehouse. And we hear that read a lot in church, uh, in churches at least. Um, I don't even know if we've ever read it at our church, to be honest. Uh, but if you actually read the whole book of Malachi and you see what the scholars say, it's not about money, it's about spiritual health. It's the Israelites, they came out of exile, they rebuilt the temple, reinstated the, uh, the priest, and so it's a couple generations after that. So a couple generations after coming out of exile, guess what happens? They get complacent. Sound familiar? Oh, God, I need you. It's the hardest week of my life. Please, God, I need you. You're praying, you're going to church, and then everything's better, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I remember I needed God, but I'm good now, so I'm just going to go do my thing, and maybe I'll go to church tomorrow. This is the emotional Christian. This is what was the Israelites. They were the emotional Christian. They, oh, when they, when they were emotionally desperate, they would, they would want God, but when they got better, they got complacent. So it's a spiritual health, actually, book. And money will actually show some of your spiritual health. So that's why money's in this book in Malachi 3. But I want to read you Malachi 1. It says this. This is the message that the Lord gave Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have always loved you, says the Lord. Stop. Some of you just need to hear this real quick. The Lord has always loved you. You didn't earn his love when you said yes. You didn't earn his love when you started doing this and that. He has always loved you. I just love how the Lord starts the book. He tells the people, oh, I've always loved you. He goes on to say, the Lord of heaven army says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and a master, where, uh, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? 
You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have you defiled the sacrifices? You defiled them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. You give blind animals as sacrifices. Isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of the heaven army. How I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. Stop. Here's what he's unpacking throughout Malachi. You cannot give me your scraps and expect to be spiritually healthy. Let me put it this way, in, in the New Testament, you cannot not plant seeds, you cannot not pray, and think that the field, your heart, will have 30, 60, 100 fold. It's not possible. The people of Israel, Malachi, were giving God their scraps and expecting a great return. You can't give God scraps. That's all this book is about. I'm not the God who wants your scraps, I want your best. Oh, I want, I, want, I want the best from you. Not your perfection, but your best. I want to be uh, preeminent in your life. He wants to be first in your life. That's what he's saying. It's like somebody who, it's so funny, I'll talk to Christians and they'll be in a, a terrible uh, place in life. And if you just ask them a handful of things, how, how often are you praying? Oh, you know, once in a while. Okay, uh, who's, your, who's, who's your circle? Who's around you? What, what kind of mentors you got in your life? What, what small group are you in? Oh, I'm not in a small group. Okay, okay. Um, so uh, where are you serving at church? Oh, I'm not really serving at church. Okay, okay. so uh, do you go to church? Oh, yeah, well, like once a month. You are giving God the scraps of your time, and you're upset why you see a scrappy life, if you will. Can I, can I use that cheesy of a statement? I'm gonna. And what he's saying to Malachi is that like, you can't work out one day a week and be healthy. Man, you got to give me the whole month. And watch what I do with your life. It's the, again, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of not discipling is unhealth and blindness and greed and terrible things. So let's go to Malachi 3. Let's go to Malachi 3. Let's, let's get in the, the meat of this book. I, the Lord, do not change. I love that promise from God. He does not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you robbed me. Woo, he's, he's saying to people like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about, God? Like, what are you talking about what we did? He's like, you robbed me. They're like, we robbed you? What are you talking about? But you ask, how are you robbing you? How are we robbing you? And he says this, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not, uh, not be room enough to store it. Stop. This is one of those verses you hear too many times and you're like, okay, I'll bring my 10%. I've heard like pastors say, do I, you want to open heaven or you want to shut heaven in your life? You want to be blessed or you want to be cursed? And all these uh, statements, but really this Malachi 3, it's not even about just tithing to church or a tithing thing. It's a heart thing. It's a spiritual health thing. There's five things that as I studied this, uh, that the scholars show that are the most important things we're supposed to grab from this chapter. Ready? The first one that, it grabs, uh, that we grab from this is greed is blinding. Greed blinds you. Money blinds you. The Israelites didn't even know it. They keep on going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Look at this verse in Luke 12, 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Stop. You'll never see Jesus say, watch out for all kinds of adultery. Watch out for all kinds of anger. Because adultery is pretty obvious when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to uh, what it is. Uh, Rachel is my wife. No other girl is my wife. So if I have a bad thought or if I did something terrible, which ne never going to do, boom, done, done, no thank you. But that would be adultery. It's pretty simple to see adultery happening. It's pretty simple to see anger happen. When I honk, when I scream, when I do this, anger is obvious. Man, greed, it's subtle. It's sneaky. 
I have pastored Mission Church for two and a half years, uh, almost six months uh, in a pandemic this way. What are we in August, July, June, May? Well, almost six months this way. And I've talked about money on Sunday zero times. Not once have I talked about money on Sunday. And, and, and I wrote down a handful of reasons. I had to be honest with myself why I haven't talked about money. And I should just a couple observations. One is, Jesus taught about money in the parables one out of every seven verses. I think one reason why he talked about money is because he understood that money blinds us, just like it does in Malachi, where we don't even see the power it has over us, the control it has over us, the way that we talk ourselves into things, justify things when it comes to money. So it controls it. It says in the, the, the New Testament that the thing that would compete with the spirit of God, with God, would be the spirit of man and the spirit of money. That would be the, the, the number one thing that would compete. Not the spirit of adultery, not the spirit of politics, but the spirit of money, the spirit of manna. Let me, let me go on to uh, tell you a couple other things. A great shepherd points out holes and traps. A great shepherd sh says to the sheep, hey, don't, don't walk there. You don't see it, but there is a hole here, and if you fall into it, it's going to be pretty hard to get out. And I think one reason why Jesus talked about money so much is because there's all types of greed, and he say, hey, walk away from that one. Hey, don't walk that way. Hey, don't walk that way. Hey, keep walking this way. This is where you're supposed to go. I think that's one reason why Jesus talked about it. Now, I had to be honest with myself. I've never talked about money. Three reasons why I haven't talked about money. I, I, am I a, a great pastor? I like to think I'm a pretty good pastor. I want to be a great pastor one day. First reason why I haven't talked about money is I'm fearful of people. I'm fearful that people will be upset that I talked about it. They'll be turned off by it. That um, it might maybe somebody's first time tuning in and they're like, oh, just a church talking about money again. So that's why I've never talked about money. And I had to repent when I was preparing this message. Like, Lord, I'm never going to be fearful of man again. Lord, if your word says it, I'm going to teach it. And I'm not going to say, well, we'll teach it next week or this or that. Lord, I'm going to teach your word. Second reason why I've never talked about money is we don't need money. We don't need money. <laughs> and what I mean by that is Mission Church is a generous church already. And now, I, not everybody's generous, but we've, two and a half years, we've been in the black every single month. We've never had one month where we didn't hit our bills. Every single month, we've hit our bills. And, and we have a full-time staff. We've got uh, eight staff members. We had to pay 20 grand for Las Lomas a month. I mean, we have bills. But the reason why I've never talked about money, we don't even need money. And I want to say this real quick. To all the generous people at Mission Church, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for sowing to the house. Thank you for giving. It's been one of the greatest gifts and one of the things I love to celebrate when I talk to other pastors. Like, man, we're a special church. We've got special people at our house. Man, they love to build the house of God. They give to the house of God. So that's one reason why I haven't talked about money. And to be honest, we still need money. We're, still, we're, we're doing better than we ever have financially at our church. Ever. Ever. Like this year, way better than last year. That, that, that's mind-boggling to me. Last but not least, the third reason why I don't teach about money at the church is just bad past experiences. I've been manipulated before by, by pastors talking about money. I literally had somebody on TV tell me to take out the credit card that had the biggest debt on it. It was a brand new Christian. And the guy was like, all right, here's what I want you to do. If you have a debt... I want you to believe by God he'll take care of that debt. And here's how you're going to show faith. Take out the credit card with the biggest debt and give a gift with that credit card. And I'll never forget, I took out my wallet and I literally started calling. And it was like one of those moments where like the light bulb went on. I was like, no more of this. This guy's crazy. That's not the Bible. I remember talking to my pastor. My pastor was like, stay away from that. Uh, da, da, da. He taught me about just stewarding and what it meant to invest and what it meant to tithe. It was one of my first moments. So people try to take advantage. So here, here, here's my heart in this. Is that as we look at these five points, greed is blinding. that you would be open to asking yourself some tough questions. That's what Jesus is always asking people. He's, he's bringing them these tough moments, not in a bad way, but T decisions. It's where like, do you want to go to abundant life or do you want to go to lukewarm life? Do you want to go to abundant life or do you want to go this way? Because this way transforms, this way 
uh, deters and destroys. He's always asking, he's never ever bringing somebody to a tough question to hurt them. He's always bringing a tough question in a tough situation to lead them to the all oh, to their abundant life. So the first one, some of this, is greed blinds you. It blinds you. Second thing we see from this teaching is the word rob is no normal word uh, uh, used here. It's only used twice in, 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 in the Bible, and there's a, different, a bunch of different words that can be used for rob. It's not like a bank heist rob, like you robbed me like a bank heist. It's not like a pickpocket robbing. It is the Hebrew word that would be used as a nation like Egypt would go into a smaller nation and they would rob that nation. How would they rob that nation? They would destroy and plunder that nation. They would decimate it. So the picture here, let's just look at what the picture of God, what he's saying about robbing. He's saying a greedy Christian destroys and plunders a church. A greedy Christian destroys and plunders relationships. Can we just look at this real quick? If you're a greedy person, look at your relationships. Look at how they're going right now. If you're, if you're greedy with always wanting to talk and not listen, maybe that's why you don't have a lot of friends. Just being honest. When you are greedy, you destroy and plunder. That's the picture of the, what Rob looks like here. Generous people, though, they build the church. If, if the church was full of people that didn't give, there would be no church. There would be no way to have church, except uh, to an extent there would be, but it wouldn't be the same. Maybe you're not greedy with money, but maybe you're greedy with time. Can you imagine a church who had no servants that would give time to actually build a house? That church would be destroyed and plundered. Can you imagine a marriage with a person who's greedy with their time and they don't want to give it to their spouse and be generous with, with, with their time? Greedy people destroy and plunder wherever they go. Generous people build and bless wherever they go. I don't want greedy disciples in my life. I want generous disciples. I don't want to be a greedy disciple. I want to be a generous disciple. Do you see that, that magnitude? I love this verse in Proverbs 19.6. Many seek favor of a generous man. They seek favor. When, when, they, when, when they see a generous person, they want to have favor of that person. It goes on to say, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. AKA somebody who is generous with gifts, with time, with finances. You're gonna have a lot of friends. Somebody who's generous with their ear and listening and empathy, they're gonna have a lot of friends. Oh, generous people build great things. Greedy people destroy things. So that's the, the, the second thing we see uh, in this verse. Third one, God gives us a baseline for our generosity. He gives us a baseline. Because uh, greed is so sneaky, he actually gives a percentage. What other percentages are in Christianity? He goes, hey, he goes, hey, bring your tithe, your 10%. And now is that baseline a limit? Is it a legalistic thing? I wanna, I wanna show you something in Luke eleven forty two. Jesus talks about the tithe. He says this, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a 10th of your mint, rue and all over kinds of gardens and herbs. Rue and all other kinds of herbs. I picked an NIV, sorry, it's a weird word. Uh, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You, must, you should have practiced the latter. Here's what he's saying. Of course, practice tithing. Of course, practice the latter. But the Pharisees, here's what they did. They took the tithe that they saw in Malachi, that they saw in the Old Testament, they saw being brought to the storehouse. They would take the tithe and they made it a legalistic limit. I gave my 10%, I'm done, I'm good. This is a baseline to your generosity. God does not want tithing to be a legalistic limit. He wants it to be a synergetic moment in your life. You give 10% and it creates something in your heart that makes you a generous person. Do you know that giving will change your soul? Giving will change your heart. It will take you from greedy to generous. It is not a legalistic limit in your life. It is a baseline for generosity. Lord, I'm, I'm gonna bring this to you. And, and after that, it, it's weird. The more and more you give, the easier it becomes to give. Remember the very beginning when I started giving, it was so hard. You've heard me teach this in, in, in our um, mission track, but I was a tipper. I remember if I had a good week, I'd give God 20 bucks. Great job, God. Thank you. I had a good week. 20 bucks. Tip. Just like it was like a, a waiter at a restaurant or something. And after I became a tipper, I remember becoming a tither. 
I remember I started tithing and I still struggled with it because I, I gave to get. I was like, well, if I tithe, you better give me this then. I better get these tickets. I better get this and that. And so I was tithing with the wrong spirit. And so I started, uh, started tithing and then I got judgmental with my tithe. I remember the pastor had a nice car and I was like, I'm just paying for that pastor's gas. And then I realized, man, tithe is not mine. I give it to God and then that person's responsible. It's a heart thing for me. And after a tithe, being a tither, I became a generous giver. Tithing was the baseline to what happened in my life now. Oh, I love being generous. I love, I love being generous. I'll even share a story, and this isn't to brag, but I feel like I need to share a story uh, in this last season to let it, you know what it does to your heart, not the, even the other person's heart. We were uh, leaving a place, and uh, I was going to give the, the person who were, was loading our bags, this was about uh, two months ago, uh, loading our bags in our car. Uh, we were at a little event, and uh, he's loading the bags in, and I just felt like the Lord said, hey, be generous with this guy. And I was like, Lord, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have a lot of cash in my pocket. Now, I had a $200 Visa gift card. And I got those out for Rachel and I uh, for our birthdays. Cashed out some gift cards. We had some points. I was like, I'm going to get some gift cards. We're going to use that for our birthdays. And so I had a $200 Visa gift card. And I felt like the Lord said, be generous with this man. I was like, God, like, I got plans for that. I got golf plans for that $200. I got golf shoes, golf clubs. I got plans for this card. And I remember, like, I really struggled with it. It was one of those moments where I didn't hear the nudge anymore, but I knew that I was going to miss an opportunity to, to, for something in my own soul to happen. And I thought it was going to be this epic moment. So I get the card out, and it's a $200 gift card. And I look at this man. He's a bellman. He's putting the bags in. I go, sir, God wanted me to give you this $200. And I don't know who Jesus is, but he loves you, and I just wanted you to have this. And I remember the guy going like, uh, okay, thanks. And he took it and walked away. I remember getting the car at first. I was like, God, like, this didn't change nothing. It didn't change. That, that, that guy literally walked away. Like, he was like, okay, thanks for the 200 bucks. Peace out. Like, I thought it was going to be this epic moment where he's like, oh, my gosh, Jesus loves me. I want to get saved. How do I get saved? Nothing like that happened. I remember driving away. And with the, the last, I would say, gosh, two minutes, something happened in my heart. And there was this freedom. And there was this thing. I was like, Lord, it wasn't even about giving him the money. It was about me actually knowing that everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. It was changing me. It wasn't changing him. Giving changes you. Giving changes your soul. It's easier to give the more and more you give. I remember after I did it, Rachel told me, she's like, I want money to give to people too. I was like, hey, all right, done. I was like, what have we created? But here we go. All right, here we go. Um, so uh, God gives us a baseline for generosity. Luke uh, uh, 11, 42. Uh, the fourth thing is this. God gives us a place to bring it. God gives us a place to bring it. It says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The word storehouse in Hebrew is God's temple. It's God's temple. Now, it's interesting to me that people become theologians when it comes to tithing. They're like, I, I believe there's a verse, uh, it says in Corinthians, uh, to give joyfully and generously. So I give a dollar joyfully and generously. That's why I only give a dollar. Uh, there's another, I, I, does Jesus even talk about tithing in the New Testament? Like, and where are you really supposed to give your tithe? And so they become like these theological acrobats so they don't actually have to give God uh, uh, the first fruits anymore. I don't even want to die on this hill real quick. Hebrew word says, God's temple. Now, if you came up to me and we were at church today, you said, Tyler, oof, you're talking about money. You were pushing buttons today. Didn't like what you're saying. Uh, I give 10% to Christians for Canada. So I give 10% of my money to the Canadians to go make uh, more Christians in Canada. And I'm like, well, that's very sweet of you to help the, the uh, nation of Canada to have Christians. And if you were given 10%, to be honest, I wouldn't even talk you out of, I'm gonna be like, all right, take that 10% and give it to God's house. You know the problem with the church today? It's not where people are giving their money. It's not. Like, that's a whole nother, like, toss it out. If, if that's the debate, like, all of our church is giving 10% to some other thing that's moving the needle to save people, that's different. 
The reason why the church is where it is at today is because people aren't given in biblical proportions. In the book of Acts, biblical proportions, people are given like crazy. The reality of the church today, they say stats are just 20% of the church gets 80% of everything that's taken care of. And if I could be honest, our church is, I think, around 30% of our church is generous givers and they take care of everything. The reality is, is that generous people are helping us build the house. And if you're somebody who's been coming and just taking, you'll have a moment in your life where you realize, God, you didn't call me to be a greedy disciple, but to be a generous disciple and to build your house. Start building the muscle to give. And the Bible says to bring to the storehouse. And again, if, if you are somebody who gives 10% to Christians for Canada, or maybe you get 10% somewhere else, I wouldn't even like be mad. I wouldn't be like, don't you do it. I would ask you this question though. Why don't you like giving to God's house? Why don't you like investing in the church? Jesus died for the bride. He loves his bride. Why wouldn't you want to invest in his bride that way? Why, why, why would you want to give his bride a little bit and give something else? And again, give, give to other things. We give to other things. But I would ask you, is it, is it because you have an offense towards the church? So the enemies use the offense for you not to help build his bride? Is it maybe because of ignorance you just didn't know? That's okay. Is it because of control? You like to know where money goes because you're a control with money person. So giving money to the church is kind of scary because you don't get to control it the same way you could when you give to something else. If I'm being honest, the reason why I know all three of these is because Rachel and I have journeyed all those. When Rachel was working at Sony in LA, she didn't trust the church. She had offenses. So she would get in a world vision book and say, I'm not giving my 10% there. Her reason for not giving to the church was not because God told her not to give to the church. It was an offense. So she would go somewhere else and she'd say, I'm going to buy a, a cattle because I know exactly how I'm going to use my money. And I'm going to use it way more fruitful than they would use it. And so she'd buy cattle and, and a goat for a village. And again, all good things. But the spirit of it, oh, just make sure your spirit's good when you're giving. Never give because of angst or because of anger. Give because God gave. Give because he told you to give. Teach them and then may they obey it. I got to teach people to give. Start giving. And last but not least, this is a, the encouraging one. This has been like super like heavy. Uh, hence why I haven't talked about money in two and a half years. What? Okay, here we go. Uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I not throw, open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Stop. It comes with a blessing. I love Acts. It says it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Talks about, let's go to the beginning. Shallow Christianity. You, you know it, but you don't really get it yet. It hasn't got to your heart. That's the first part. The second one is emotional. I give emotionally sometimes. Oh, the, the, the third one is, is I, want, I want to give to God, but I really want a new set of clubs. Can I be honest? If it's easy for you to DoorDash 100 bucks on DoorDash, but it's hard to give $100 to the church, you may have a different storehouse. I'm, I'm going to say this real quick. The, the first person uh, that I talked about was the shallow giving was simply this, is that the shallow Christian doesn't even understand how blessed they would be if they got it here. Because you know that it would change here and it would create an abundance in your heart. Generosity is so good for your soul. The second one, the emotional person, you only give when you want to. Man, that's not even healthy giving. That's not why we give. We don't give when we want to, that's not why. The third person, because the world, there's too much things. I gotta say this real quick. Everybody who's watching, you have your own storehouse. You have a storehouse. You give somewhere to your, be your best fruits. It, it may be to yourself, maybe vacations, if you love clothes and you can easily spend $1,000 on clothes and like just write that check, here you go, close storehouse, here's 1,000 bucks and you feel great about it, but then you give $100 to, to, to God's house and it just feels like the most painful thing, oh, you just have the wrong, that's, that's, that's the materialistic Christian. But man, if you could actually be the transformed one, you're saying, man, I love bringing my best fruits. I wanna conclude with this. Uh, <laughs> hope you're encouraged today, Mission Church. Uh, 
This wasn't easy for me to, to teach. It wasn't easy even for me to process. I had to digest it too. But I want to conclude with this thought. I don't think it's an accident that Israel's greatest run for 40 years was under David. David has this moment in his run where he talks about building God's temple. And he gives above and beyond to build the house. So he gives, so the leader gives and sets the example. Man, I want to give. I want to give more than enough. I want to, I want to give him biblical proportions. And it says in Chronicles that the people of Israel followed suit and they gave. And they set up David's son Solomon to build the greatest temple. To build the greatest temple. The greatest run ever was when they had a generous leader and generous people. Think about that. The greatest run Israel ever had was when they had an obedient leader named David who was generous and a generous people that were surrounding him. I don't think that's on accident. The other times in Israel's history, it's always terrible because generous spirit, a generous leader, builds the greatest run for 40 years. Do you see that pearl real quick? The greatest leader builds the greatest run for 40 years. That generous spirit, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a bountiful time. Let's fast forward to the greatest leader, and his name is Jesus. And he gave above and beyond. He gave his own life. Though he knew no sin, he became sin, so we could become righteous. And I believe that the church gets really special and can have the greatest run is when we realize that Jesus gave everything and we follow suit and give everything too. Oh, church, we could have the greatest 30-year run, 40-year run. We could see something happen in the East Bay is if people followed suit with what Jesus is doing. Oh, he gave, we got to give. I've heard a pastor say it this way, you're never more like God than when you give. He gave his son, man, let's start giving. Let me pray, let me pray for you. God, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for even challenging messages. Lord, this was hard for me to preach. And Lord, I, I, I repent for that, Lord. May I never be afraid to speak truth. Lord, I pray for the one that is listening for the first time today. And I love what it said about John Edwards. He would just read scripture. And man, when scripture is read and when it's preached, something happens in the heart. You may be watching today and God was doing something in your heart and you started crying or you started feeling something. And again, feeling's not bad, but you started feeling something, you started processing. You know, man, I want Jesus. If you want Jesus today, three ways you can say yes. On YouTube, say, I said yes. Uh, on a website, click, I said yes. Tell a friend, say, I said yes. I'm gonna give you a fourth way. Text somebody, call somebody, say, I said yes. And last but not least, Church, man, we are going to stay committed to this. Uh, this uh, series is just getting started. This is the uh, third week of Making Great Disciple. Uh, can't wait to uh, preach again. Take care. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.